Take your Bible, turn over to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're still in our Bible Truth series, been in it for quite some time. We um, have moved along and have been dealing with a number of different topics. I want to begin talking to you about some New Testament mysteries. And so tonight, I want to begin in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We're going to look at two verses there, and then we'll move along. It'll be a familiar passage to kick things off. We'll see how far we can get tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Father, we ask, Lord, you'd bless this time in the Word of God. May you be exalted and and magnified in this place. Lord, we know, Father, that you are, Father, desperately needed in our lives, when without you we can do nothing. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just work now and move in our midst. 
Fill me with your spirit and may you just be with the people of God and continue to work in their lives and may your Holy Spirit truly bring about change as needed. Um, Father, remind us of what we need to know. That, Father, we might be more apt to please you with our steadfastness and that we would be quick to defend your word and to stand on it. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Now we think about a steward, and that's what the passage is talking about right off the bat. We notice it says here that, uh, that moreover, it's required in stewards a man be found faithful, talking about being stewards in the passage. And a steward is somebody that's given something valuable to take care of, and uh, he's supposed to take care of it for his master. I think about Eleazar, the uh, steward of Abraham and his house. And of course, we know that everything Abraham had was under the hand of Eleazar. Oh, he was a steward. Now, when we think about being a steward, there's a prerequisite. And of course, it's found in the passage. And that prerequisite is being found faithful. A steward is to be found faithful. So the steward is responsible for faithfully handling the goods that have been entrusted into their watch care. Now, you know, more than we associate, more often we associate stewardship with finances. You know, that's how we normally do it. We talk about stewardship and it seems that finances often come up. And of course, we understand that, you know, everything that we have is really of God and it's his. And we're simply stewards of that which he has entrusted into our watch care. However, stewardship encompasses far more than mere finances. There's so much more that it deals with and it, uh, that it addresses. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're not talking about the stewardship of money, obviously. It's talking about a stewardship that is not very often discussed. Again in verse 1, the Bible says, Let a man sow account of us as the ministers of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. So in our passage, he's talking about somebody that's taking care of some, uh, taking care of some mysteries. What is this man responsible to do as a steward? Well, we know in verse 2 that moreover it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So Paul the Apostle is writing to the Corinthians, and he's basically saying, I have been made a steward over, some, over something that I've been given to teach, and as a steward, i got to be faithful in taking care of it. So there are some mysteries of God, some mysteries of God that a man is given to take care of, and he's to be faithfully preserving those mysteries. These mysteries are also yours and they're mine to care for as well. Do you know what those mysteries are? Think about that for a moment. Do you know what the mysteries are that we're to be good stewards of? Well, they're not the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's a whole different issue. These mysteries are in the Pauline epistles. Of course, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's talking about these mysteries. They're going to be mysteries that are in the Pauline epistles, and they're going to apply to the body of, of Christ. Now, let me just be very honest and frank. How in the world could a person be faithful in preserving these mysteries if he doesn't even know what they are? 
It's an impossibility, right? Even more, how can a person be a good steward of something that they could care less about? Now, as Americans, we care about a number of things, don't we? Care about a lot of things. We're interested and we're concerned about our bank accounts, our pensions or retirement, our health, homeowners, and car insurances. We're concerned about inflation, the future of Social Security and paying our bills. We're concerned about those things. Certainly, those are, those are matters that have to be addressed. There's no doubt that they play a role in our lives. However, God would have us to remember that there are some other things that matter as well and that in many cases should matter even more than those things we just discussed. Take, for instance, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the Bible says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want to ask you a question. How many folks do you know today who hunger and thirst after righteousness? I mean, hunger and thirst after righteousness. I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find very many that hunger and thirst after righteousness. I mean, let's consider our leaders in Washington, maybe the media. How about maybe the majority of special interest groups in our country? Are they thirsting after righteousness? No, I don't think so. And then there are always those that could care less about righteousness. And like I said, even fewer that would hunger and thirst after it. Sadly, Americans as a whole don't hunger and thirst after righteousness, but instead... Well, we try to get or find ways to kind of get around it or not to have to deal with it. I, I, I was reading this the other day, and so I thought I'd throw it in here, but I heard about a fellow who asked a man, he said, do you believe the main problems in America are ignorance and indifference? The man said, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> and you know, there's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? You and I need to care about the things that God cares about. And in the passage, Paul tells us that there are some mysteries that you and I need to be faithful stewards of. Now let's take some time over the next few weeks to identify these mysteries, to, to learn more about them so that we can better preserve them and promote them even. So let's talk about very briefly, as fast as I can, mystery number one. Turn, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Mystery number one. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as I read the passage or you get there and read it yourself, you're going to go, oh man, I should have known that. You probably do. You already knew it. You just didn't realize it. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 3, 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now this is arguably the greatest verse in the New Testament on the deity of Jesus Christ. 
I want you to think about that for a minute. It's arguably the greatest verse in the entire New Testament on the deity of Christ. You say, really? Yeah, great is the mystery of godliness. You know, it's sad, but many of the versions have omitted the word God for another word. For example, they put things in like, who was manifest in the flesh. Or they say, he who was manifest in the flesh. Or it was manifest in the flesh. That's a problem. I I don't know. I mean, this is the greatest, the greatest, I, I think probably the greatest New Testament passage on the deity of Christ, and yet we're removing God himself out of it. That's a problem. It says God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. So what does that mean then? What's it mean that God manifests in the flesh? Well, I guess if I could make it as simple as possible, I would say it means that God showed up as a baby. And you say, well, what, what makes that a mystery? Why is that a mystery? Because you can't explain it. You can stay up all night. You can try to figure it out all you want. You aren't going to figure that out, are you? Neither am I. I mean, let's think about this for a moment. See, you got Mary, and here's Mary changing Jesus' clothes. Or Mary saying, listen, don't put that in your mouth, Jesus. Mary burping Jesus after supper. You say, did that really happen? Well, I suppose it did. I mean, he was like any other baby, wasn't he? I mean, there's nothing in Scripture that would tell us that he was different. I mean, he wasn't doing cartwheels you know, and walking at the age of one month. There's nothing that would imply that, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just saying, as a think about this for just a moment. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the Bible says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Therefore, it appears to me that it was a very natural maturation process that Jesus went through. I don't believe for one moment that Jesus Christ was a mere man. I don't believe that at all. Not for one moment. I believe he was God manifest in the flesh. But I'll tell you one thing. When he came down here, he came as a baby. And there was a a woman who was named Mary who became his earthly mother through birth, and she had to take care of him. She fed him and washed him. I mean, think about that for a minute. Washing the creator God of the universe. I mean, think about, figure that out. How does that work? You know, as human beings, we believe that we're so smart. And yet, there's so much we don't understand, you know? I mean, if we ever thought that we were on the same high ground as God is, this mystery makes it perfectly clear that we're not. I mean, over in the book of 1 Corinthians, and I'm I'm kind of moving right through today because of time, but instead of you turning to these passages, but in 1 Corinthians 1.25, the Bible says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
See, God is so far beyond us. I mean, the very moment that you and I begin to believe that we really know something on our own, God lets a woman have a baby without a man. And we go, wow, how's that work? See, mankind's been trying to imitate this thing for, well, ever since. I mean, think about science, so-called. They fool around with artificial insemination and cloning, to mention a few things. They're always trying to figure out ways to make babies in test tubes and everything else. And you know what's interesting? Think about God for a minute. Think about what he's done. You know that in the Bible, God makes man four different ways. You say, four different ways? Yeah. First of all, God can make a person out of just dust or ground without a woman. He did it, didn't he? Remember in Genesis? Also, God can make a woman out of a man. He did that. God can make a man out of a woman. And finally, God can make a man out of men and women together. Four different ways. We got a God that can make mankind or people four different ways. So even if the world manages to counterfeit one of them, they still got three more to go. God was manifest in the flesh. When God let a woman have a man child without a man being involved, he brought to nothing the wisdom of this world. Look if you would in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20. He brought to nothing the wisdom of the world. He shook some things up. 1 Corinthians 1.20. The question is asked, where is the wise? 1 Corinthians 1.20 and 21. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You know what mankind has done to try to get around God? They've used wisdom. Notice it says, the world by wisdom knew not God. Mankind exercised or tried to invoke his wisdom so that he could get around God. By wisdom, he knew not God. So, do you know how men get around knowing God? Their education, then. Again, we, we are not anti-education here. 
I think you better read and write and do arithmetic and all the things you need to do. But let me tell you something. Man's wisdom has only, man has sought information. Man has sought to learn things. Man has instituted education. And had, the devil has so sown the seeds of, 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 of has, has brought about basically a sense of undermining God, the authority of the word of God, the reality of God through education. Think about what our schools are teaching today. Think about what the universities and how they started out way back in the beginning of the Americas, back when we were still a young nation, back when we were way even before we became even a nation. These schools that were brought into being, Harvard and Oxford and some of these other places, they were schools that preached and taught the Word of God. They're anything but that now. Matter of fact, they are anti-God. They are atheistic in their approach. Education. Education without salvation is damnation. So mankind used wisdom not only to get around God, but to get away from God. So the Lord looked down here and he said, okay, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to confound your wisdom. I'm going to bring it to nothing. They said, well, how are you going to do that? He said, I'm going to let a woman have a baby without a man being involved. And that baby is going to be the one that made the universe. You know, not one of those educated folks, not one of us even in this room can truly explain that. We couldn't explain if we stayed up again all night. It wouldn't matter how much we read or how much we studied or how much we meditated. No way. There's no way to explain that. Now, a mystery is something that's so or something that's true, whether you can explain it or not. At least a biblical mystery. A New Testament mystery is something you're supposed to believe. God was manifest in the flesh. And that is the first mystery. What if every preacher in America had been faithful, a faithful steward in keeping that mystery and preserving that mystery? What if every believer was a faithful steward of this truth and this mystery? I believe that you would have to look long and hard to find even one liberal in a pulpit in the United States. But unfortunately, we've not been very good stewards of the mysteries. There are churches today that would call themselves biblical churches that question or undermine the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, that God was manifest in the flesh. What happened? Well, somebody was unfaithful. Somebody was entrusted with something and they didn't keep it. Paul said, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. May God help us to be faithful stewards of that first mystery, the virgin birth 
God manifest in the flesh. Do you believe that he literally was virgin born? That he's without doubt God? All God became all man. We know that he ultimately took our place on Calvary to pay for our sin. And no one but God himself could overcome the sin nature. Jesus wasn't born with a sin nature because he had no father, earthly father. Sin is passed down through the seed of the man. Therefore, Jesus had no sin nature. Yet he lived a perfect, sinless life. The virgin birth, God manifest in the flesh. Let's be faithful stewards of that truth. Let's not yield to man's wisdom or to the world's philosophy. Let's stick with God and his word. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for the simplicity of your word. And we thank you, Father, for this first mystery that, Father, we are to be stewards of. Lord, we cannot give ground. We cannot compromise. We must stand strong and continue to promote and to propagate this idea of the virgin birth, this truth that God was manifest in the flesh. Lord, when the world will try to undermine Christ's deity, the world will seek to imply that he is not indeed God in flesh. Other religions will say he was a mere prophet or just a good man, but Lord, that is not the case, nor is it the truth. They may not understand it, nor will we maybe in this life as we ought Lord, that's why it's a mystery, and yet, Lord, that mystery is so. It's true. Lord, we're to believe it, and we are to protect it, if you will, preserve it, care for it as a good steward of Jesus Christ. Bless us now, we pray. Father, may you be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed.